And go ahead and grab your Bible. Open up to Galatians chapter 6. You can find the sermon guide for today's message in the app along with study questions for your small group. Today's message is titled, You Reap What You Sow. And I'm going to add one verse to our text from last week just to help set the context. So we're going to begin reading in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our ears, and would you tune our minds, softening our hearts, that we may be shaped and formed into your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come to the end of Galatians, It's helpful for us to recall our journey so far through this letter. When we study scripture, anytime we study scripture, we need to remember that context matters. And Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia for the purpose of defending the gospel. There had been some false teaching from a group called the Judaizers, and he starts off this letter defending his own apostolic authority because Paul wanted to provide confidence to his readers of his authority to teach sound doctrine. Then he began to correct all the false teaching of the Judaizers, how they had told the Christians in Galatia that they needed to follow the Jewish civil and ceremonial laws if they wanted to have favor with God. Put plainly, They were teaching and encouraging legalism. And Paul addressed this false teaching directly by showing that the Christian life is not in bondage to a legal system. It is not fleshly effort, but freedom from the law to live by the Spirit. And so as we approach chapter 6, we need to remember all of that context. And then we're going to begin to see how Paul has already completed his main thought. And in this section here... He offers a few words of final admonition. Last week, as we began chapter 6, we found ourselves considering a question at the end of our message. The question we considered was, are you deeply and personally invested in the local church? It's like Paul is saying, all right, do you get it? Are you in It kind of reminds me of the moments where I have to correct my children. They'll do something wrong, and so we'll sit down, and I'll explain what they did that was wrong, and we'll talk about how to make better choices. And then towards the end of that conversation, I'll say, son, because it's usually son, at least lately, son, do you understand? Are we going to see a change in your behavior? You want to make sure that they understand and are going to move to action 
And it seems as if that's what Paul has in mind here, almost like he knows there's a group of people that might be holdouts, as if he knows that they might hear this letter being read aloud in the church gathering and think, yeah, thanks for the letter, Paul, but no thanks. You know, legalism might not seem very tempting. You might think, why would they want to add a bunch of rules? That seems strange. But the part about legalism that hooks our hearts is the idea that we really are awesome because of what we do. We start to do a few things well and we begin to get a little prideful. We think we're big stuff. And then we'll see other people mess up just a little bit and that makes us start to feel even better about ourselves. And so we continue to give in a little at a time to legalism. You know, a person can win a race, of course, by running faster than everybody else, but they can also win that race by having everybody else quit before they reach the finish line. And instead of helping people who stumble, legalists will find that when other people fail, it makes them look better. Rather than helping and restoring those who stumble, they delight in seeing other people fall. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You know, those who are giving in to legalism, they don't do this. Rather than help, they shine a light on others. Look at that. Look at that. What a shame. And then they trot on in their own pride. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. This is not gospel. This is not the Spirit of God. Those who are in the family of God, brothers and sisters, we restore one another. We show grace because those who are spiritual restore with gentleness. Paul is saying, listen, if you really think you're a big deal, because you can keep a few extra Jewish rules, you're missing it. He's asking the question, are you really invested in gospel teaching? Or are you more interested in following false teachers who just give you a message that you love to hear? So as we've worked our way through this text, we ended with verse 6 last week, and I so appreciated how Scott just navigated his teaching on this so smoothly. He's so good at that. But I wanted us to circle back and to begin our section today by looking again at verse 6 because it really does help us understand the context. Verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And as we learned last week, to share all good things certainly does include more than financial and material things, But most Bible scholars agree that the primary context was financial support. Likely what had happened was that the Galatian churches had stopped sharing their financial and material resources with their teachers. They had started sending offerings and tithes elsewhere. In Galatians 1.6, it says they had turned to a different gospel. And so in turning to the false gospel... They had also evidently shifted their financial support, perhaps sending it off to Jerusalem and supporting the Judaizers. But Paul makes the point 
that they should be supporting those who are teaching them the gospel. But instead, they were placing their investment elsewhere. And since that support was a support of a message of legalism, the more that they would give to support legalism, the more it would seem that they would earn favor with God. It only continued to keep them in the trap of legalism because in all likelihood, their own giving was another way that they were earning right standing with God. And so it is in this context that we begin our passage today. And even as we ended last week with this question, are you deeply and personally invested in the local church? It is right for us to begin with that thought again now. Those who had given themselves to false teaching had invested in this in some very personal ways. Just think about this. The main example throughout Galatians that is cited is circumcision. They were willing to accept this as necessary to earn salvation. And if that were all, I think it would be fair to say that they were deeply and personally invested. But the problem is, that wasn't all. They had given their devotion and their efforts, their service, and their money to support false teaching. And in our text today, we're going to see how Paul references that same investment, this investment of theirs, with the illustration of sowing, S-O-W, to plant a seed. To plant a seed is to invest in a future crop, and to sow is to really for us to plan for, invest for a future harvest. As we hear this scripture, and it speaks to us personally, we need to be willing to ask ourselves the hard questions about our own investment. And at the outset, right when we started together, we prayed that God would soften our hearts so that we might rightly see ourselves So I'd like for us to pause right now just for a moment for reflection and ask ourselves this question, where, where are you most deeply and personally invested? And consider the investment of your time, consider the investment of your money and of your affections. What does that say? What does that say about the way that you are sowing, about the harvest that you can expect? Friends, Paul's concern as he closes his letter to the Galatians was that they would see how a right heart and a proper understanding of God's word would lead them to life. We can just sense his pastoral heart for the people. Look at verse 7 where it says, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The passive tense of the verb here indicates that some of the Galatians had already been deceived. You recall Galatians 3.1 where Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And also just a few verses earlier in verse 3, we see that those who are deceiving themselves, but the Greek in verse 3, the Greek word that's translated deceive in verse 3, it's slightly different from what we see in verse 7. In chapter 6 verse 3, the idea is deception of beliefs or words or understanding. And compare that to verse 7, the word carries with it the idea of being led off path or led astray. You see, what Paul is doing 
is he's connecting the deception of what we believe and what we think with the, dis- with the direction of our lives. He's saying you're deceived in what you believe and so you have been deceived in what you are doing. What are they doing? How are they deceived? In this matter of personal investment, in legalism, and in financial responsibility. What he's saying here in verse 7 is stop being deceived. They were being led astray by false teachers. And Paul says, don't be led astray. Don't turn and follow the wrong path. Stay in step with the spirit. The direction of their life was a dead end. And it's in line with what Paul has already been teaching about the difference between flesh and the spirit. And he first introduced that in chapter five. The flesh is the sinful nature that we inherit from Adam. And the spirit is our regenerate nature in Christ. Look back at verse 16 in chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Instead of crucifying the sinful nature, the Galatians were coddling it. And so he says to them here in verse 7 of chapter 6, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. What does that mean? Well, it means God is not fooled or outwitted. You can't trick God. You can't outwit him. The literal Greek here means to turn up the nose at, to sneer at God, thinking you can violate his law and get away with it. God is not mocked. You can't just do whatever you please and expect blessing. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You reap what you sow. And this principle is consistently found in Scripture. It's found in Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Hosea, Jeremiah, the Gospels, 1 Corinthians. It is all over the Bible. Listen to this verse in Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Don't think you can walk the wrong path and still end up in the right place. Don't think that you could turn your nose at God's plan and still receive his blessing. You reap what you sow. And we know this to be true. Have you ever tried to grow anything? I have this place in my front yard that for whatever reason, the grass did not fill in when the house was first built. So I've got normal grass all over my yard, except this one place that's probably about the same size as a parking spot, maybe eight by 12. And so I think I'll just sow some grass and fix that right up. And listen, this, it's embarrassing for me to admit the number of times I've tried to sow grass and failed. I would go and spend the money. I would sow seed, water it. But then really, like, who has time to water the grass that much? So it would start to grow, but then it would fail. And what's embarrassing is because that same story repeats itself numerous times. Sometimes I would skip the straw. Sometimes I would buy topsoil. Other times I'd tried to skip that part. Sometimes I was lazy and I didn't tuck the seed into the dirt enough. Ultimately, the bare spot in my front yard stands as evidence 
that you reap what you sow. And listen, I know what you're going to do. You're going to come and find me and you're going to say, you've got to try this thing. You just unroll it like a carpet and the grass just grows. Yeah, I saw that commercial too. I tried the magic carpet grass and I managed to mess that up as well. What about you? Have you experienced the truth of this principle that you reap what you sow? Have you ever hoped for a result that really wasn't in proportion to your efforts? Maybe you started out on the right path, like me with the grass seed, but you just grew weary of doing what it takes. Maybe you prayed for that miracle A on the test, but you didn't study enough to actually earn the grade. I know that many times I've stood on a bathroom scale, hoping that if I would just think about exercising enough, that that thinking about exercising burns calories and I would lose weight. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but look at what Paul does as he applies this lesson in verse eight. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Sowing to the flesh, it reaps corruption. Sowing to the spirit reaps eternal life. And many people would read eternal life and only think of heaven and this unending progression of time. But I think we miss the meaning if we don't realize it's so much more than that. Eternal life is also a kind of life. Paul compares it with the word corruption, which could also be translated destruction or ruin. The way of the flesh destroys life. And this is compared to a full and complete unending life. Eternal life is also a kind of life that we live now. And friends, I have to confess that in my own life, far too many times, I have invested, I've invested something empty. I've invested things that are selfish or even sinful. And I put those and sow those things in. But the principle is you reap what you sow. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we'll reap eternal life. The degree of that investment is going to return, determine the harvest. And I chose sunflower seeds to represent my investment because I think they're delicious. But the lesson, the lesson that that presents is that our present conduct is going to determine our future condition. Sadly, many will live and continue to live any way they choose, even living in absolute violation of God's commands. But somehow they would still expect to receive a happy ending to the story of their life. People continue to plant seeds of destruction and they hope that it will produce good fruit. Ultimately, 
We must bear the responsibility for our own behavior. And it breaks my heart to see so many people who want to receive the joy of eternal life, but they continue to sow to their flesh. And that's the heart of this passage today. And I know as I was thinking about this just object lesson and how we would apply it, I have to admit, at first thought, I thought, oh, I've got these two pots. I've got to get one that has a full-grown plant. But then it occurred to me, that's actually part of the problem. We want to sow and reap on the same day. We want to plant, and then we quickly lose patience because we don't see a harvest. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Maybe you've grown weary. Perhaps you started to wonder if you'll ever see the harvest. Some of you right now are struggling to keep doing good. How can I keep going? What can I do to keep from giving up? In Hebrews 12, starting at the beginning of the chapter, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then look at this next verse. Look at, look at verse 3. This is so important. Consider him. Underline that. Underline that. Look at that. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Friend, if you've ever wondered, is it worth it? And you thought, can I do it? And you've wondered, does this effort even matter? This text reminds us, look to Jesus. If you've ever wondered, is it ever going to pay off? Is it even worth the effort? Does it matter if I put forth effort? Does it matter if I put forth 20 bucks in the offering? Does my little tiny life even make a difference? Don't grow weary. For everyone that's wondered If the harvest will ever come, when will we get to reap? I'm tired. Send me a sub in coach. I'm tired. Look to Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith and his path. It led to a cross. It was driven by joy. Did you catch that? Christian, Do you wonder why it matters? Do you wonder why it matters? If 
For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. The harvest is certain. And the grammar here makes that clear. In fact, the grammar in verse 9, super interesting. Notice how the shift happens to the first person plural in verse 9. I can't help but think that Paul is adding himself into the mix here on purpose because he had hoped that the Galatians would have already got it. He had invested in them with the desire that they would grow and flourish and produce a great harvest. But they were struggling. They were falling back into old habits. They were being led astray by false teachers. Do you think Paul might have struggled? I think we know that he did, given our journey through the letter. And friends, I, I know this kind of struggle. As a pastor, I know what it feels like to deeply and personally invest and desire to see a kingdom harvest. I want so much for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. So much. I desperately want people in our community to come to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. All of my life and my effort and all of my heart is to that end. Sometimes I struggle. I struggle to not grow weary. But then I think of Paul. I think of how he might have felt as he shared this verse. Think of his life and his faithfulness to the mission. I think of all that he endured. He was beaten and betrayed and belittled. They literally threw stones at him. And he was shipwrecked and starved and he spent so many sleepless nights in danger. When I think of what Paul endured, I simply cannot imagine what I would have done. But Paul kept going. Nothing stopped him. Friend, I know, I know you struggle too. And I know that someone needs to hear this today. Do not give up. The harvest is sure. The Lord of the harvest is faithful. And look at this next verse, verse 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. I want you to notice something special here. Do good, yes. Do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. First Christian Church, we have the opportunity to do something special with one another. The joy that we share together on mission, this mutual surrender to the mission is full of joy. And we enjoy being on mission together. Friends, we are on this journey together. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And we can unite to share the joy of Christ with others. We know that we will have the opportunity to do good to everyone. We get to live lives that are marked by radical generosity as we show our community that we are for them because God is for them. 
what might it look like if we continued to sow to the spirit with joy, with joy, the joy of Jesus? What might happen if we did this together in the soil of Greene County? I can only imagine, but this is what I know. The harvest is sure. Lord, we trust that you are Lord of the harvest. And so even when we don't see a thing sprouting up from the ground, would you help us to trust that you are doing the work that we just cannot? In fact, God, it's a reminder that you have done the work that we never could do in saving us through Jesus Christ. You have made us righteous, not because of what we have done, not because of our own efforts, our own doing. Forgive us for the arrogance of ever thinking that that did it. And humbly, Lord, humbly remind us that it was the work of Jesus Christ for us that has produced in us the joy that we could be on mission and that we could know and trust that we have life. So God, motivate us and unite us towards that mission together, that we would do good in, in all of the ways that you give us opportunity throughout our lives this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.